Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Great conversation today with Gabe Hardman, Karina Becco, the power couple. I always like it when husbands and wives work together. They do, and they've been doing incredible comic books for years. Um, I want to say going back to Heathentown and uh, other great collaborations. Their great run at Boom on uh, various Planet of the Apes stories. And then individually, you know, Gabe, of course, with uh, Agents of Atlas, so many great Marvel comics, uh, Great Adventures of the Red Hulk, and uh, recently, Invisible Republic, their wonderful image series, and even more recently, uh, Green Lantern Year One, or Earth One, excuse me. Uh, great combination, uh, a reimagining of uh, Green Lantern. It's part of the Earth One series. There have been uh, Batman and Superman books by uh, J. Michael Straczynski on Superman and uh, Jeff Johns on Batman, I believe, with Gary Frank. And uh, this is an incredible uh, combination and a great retelling of uh, Hal Jordan's uh, story. Very fresh story, very fresh take, uh, lots of uh, space travel and my kind of stuff, astronaut kind of uh, adventure um, with uh, an alien twist. It's terrific and uh, would make a hell of a movie. It's already a hell of a graphic novel. And I know in Chicago it flew off the shelves. And I really hope that uh, sales continue to be great and uh, give people a chance to uh, get another story out of these guys. It's a complete story, as I say in the interview, but uh, things are left open for it to continue, and I'd love to see that happen. So, uh, And also, Invisible Republic, um, my gosh, they started that book you know, a couple of years ago, and certainly today's political situation uh, seems to make the art that much more uh, prescient, or prescient and uh, relevant. And it's uh, great to talk to them about uh, the story. And it's always interesting how art changes uh, when it's a new generation and how it's uh, ingested and and, uh, accepted and absorbed and the feelings you have after you read it. Uh, And I think Invisible Republic is a great example of something like that. And it's a great story. Uh, We're kind of mid-story with Invisible Republic. And uh, Gabe and Karina explain what's coming up. Plus, they've got uh, new uh, projects they're they're talking about as well. Gabe has uh, a run on Alien coming up for Dark Horse. And then, uh, you know, Karina's doing some interesting uh, zoological uh, things as well. And I'll let them talk about that in the interview. Karina Becco, Gabe Hartman, on today's Word Balloon. It's brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you so much, League, for your support. Just came back from C2E2. Had a great time there. And uh, we'll be presenting those panels uh, in the near future. But uh, in the meantime, I just want to thank you because... Uh, you help uh, getting to conventions that much easier through your support via Patreon. Thank you very, very much. If you'd like to subscribe to Word Balloon and help the cause, you can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. Do you think what I do here at Word Balloon is worth the price of a comic book every month? If you can spare it, Word Balloon is free. It'll always be free. But if you want to help uh, the project out, you can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. So thank you again, uh, Word Balloon listeners and the League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. I have opened up the Karina Becco page, uh, which will also feature some Gabe Hardman uh, work as well. But you should really catch up on their uh, fantastic storytelling. Karina, how about uh, her work on uh, Laura Croft? Laura Croft and the Frozen Omen. Uh, a great book. Randy Green doing the art chores there. But it's from Dark Horse. Uh, that trade paperback is 42% off, $11 and 59 cents for the trade paperback. You can also get a damaged version. I don't know how many of, how many of them are damaged, but uh, right now there's a damaged uh, version for $7.99. And then their amazing run 
on Planet of the Apes. And this is, as I like to call it, the Young Dr. Zayas series, uh, Exile on Planet of the Apes, Volume 1. Uh, it's uh, 30% off. Gabe, Karina, Mark Lamming, my buddy, who I just saw at C2E2 doing the art chores. Uh, this was terrific. Uh, 30% off for Volume 1. It's $10.49. You can also get, uh, let's see, what else? I know there's more. Cataclysm, Planet of the Apes, that's Volume 3. And uh, that is Damien Cusario doing the art chores, but it's Karina and Gabe. 50% off for Volume 3, $7.49. All self-contained stories. They are related. They do kind of continue uh, the story. But that said, great stuff, man. Um, Betrayal of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, that one is ten dollars and forty nine cents. So, and you know how I feel about Planet of the Apes, and I know Gabe and Karina are uh, amazing fans of the original Ape Run as well. Nothing wrong with the new movies, but there's something about those classic five movies. And really, Doctor Zayas, come on, one of the greatest cre- characters ever created, and uh, in good hands in uh, Gabe and Karina's hands in the art people as well. Uh, uh, also, Invisible Republic. You can get the first three volumes of Invisible Republic at forty two percent off. Each volume, uh, volume one and two are eight dollars and sixty nine cents. Volume three also eight dollars and sixty nine cents. That's all waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. Check it out for yourself. Great books, great prices at InStockTrades.com. All right. Without further ado, let's get into our conversation now with Gabe Hardman and Karina Becco. We're talking about Green Lantern, Earth One, and also some amazing talk about Invisible Republic and their future projects. Here are Gabe and Karina now on Word Balloon. Gabe Hardman, Karina Becco, welcome back to Word Balloon. Always happy to see you at cons, but even happier when you decide to come back on the podcast. So welcome. Oh, thanks. Sean. Thank you. Absolutely, man. Nice going on uh, Green Lantern. Holy shit, great book. Oh, thanks. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Absolutely, yeah. man. No, you know, those books, I think, have been hit and miss. You know, just like the Marvel Year One or whatever the hell Marvel is calling them and stuff. And it's not easy to reboot something that doesn't necessarily need rebooting but i mean it's this is great if you love uh, space exploration and i like that it leans into that so much more and um you have found a different way to tell the story and make it entertaining for jesus someone like myself that's been reading green lantern i think since at least the 70s and Yeah. yeah man no great story i think it's terrific Sure. Yeah. Was he a toy salesman when you started reading it? <laughs> no, he wasn't. And I do know that that was one of his jobs, and he was a truck driver for a while. And I'm glad that when Johns decided to reboot everything, it's like, uh, test pilot, that's pretty cool. And you guys, of course, take it the further step of astronaut, even cooler. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Gabe, I know from a, from a storyboard standpoint, you've worked on things like, was it uh, the, the, the Tom Cruise movie, is it Edge of Tomorrow? Is that what it was called? Yeah, I, I worked on that, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I just uh-huh. remember some of your storyboards from that looking very astronaut-ish. And this thing is obviously, it, it, would you say that it's set like maybe 20 years in the future? Is that? Is yeah, that- it's. I mean, it's a sort of, you know, we, we kept like saying to each other that it's kind of five minutes in the future, you know, like Max Headroom. But, uh, the uh, you know, like an, an indeterminate amount of time in the future. But like, you know, not so far that it's crazy, but right. not. So close, you know, like, like Interstellar, yeah, like exactly. that. You know, Which I worked on that as well. Yeah, but, I had no uh, idea you worked on Interstellar. That's fantastic. Yeah, 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 I did three Nolan movies. Yeah. So were you oh. guys, Karina? Were you guys Green Lantern fans, or you know, I mean, like, how did the how did the project come to you guys? It 
It was actually um, we suggested it. I yeah, mean, yeah, we 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 brought it to them, sort of. Yeah, I mean the uh, we were uh, we were pitching a different thing to them. Okay, and uh, which just didn't happen for a lot of the reasons that things don't happen. And uh, when we were on a call with Dan DiDio, uh we were just uh, it, it, you know it was kind of like oh well sorry this didn't work out. Feel we'd love to do something else. If you want to pitch something in the future, and I was like, well, what about Green Lantern? Just because, mainly because, like, I had bought uh, um, one of those kind of discount comicsology collections of like Silver Age Green Lantern stuff. Oh, great! Like right before that, and I'd been looking through it, and you know, it's loaded with aliens and sci-fi stuff, and, yeah. and scheme of you know DC Comics characters. It kind of felt like, well, that's that's what we could do. You know, like a, a sci-fi book with aliens and, you know, exotic worlds and stuff like that. And uh, and it was just kind of a spur of the moment thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Dan was like, well, you know, maybe you could do an Earth One Green Lantern book. And we're like, great. Okay. So he's like, pitch it. And we did. And, you know, it just happened. It was actually relatively easy. Yeah. Certainly compared to everything else. <laughs> well, and coming from that Silver Age period of Adam Strange and The Flash and, you know, that Julie Schwartz era uh, as far as the Silver Age goes, uh, that's when Green Lantern did get interesting. And as you say, alien exploration. I, I you know, that was one of my barbershop uh, comics as a little kid. That like, who are all these weird aliens all wearing kind of the same uniform? And you had yeah. things like you know Tomari, the you know the space chicken kind of <laughs> Green yeah. Lantern, or the uh, the cucumber that seemed to have like a, a bunch of antenna coming out of it, and. Some of the other weird, you know, Green Lanterns and stuff. I'm glad you guys went to the the classic core, and I think you know you bring new spins on Kilowog and Orissa, and uh, I mean that's the thing. There are there are familiar uh, signposts that everyone will recognize if they haven't already bought the book, uh, and and you know it's. I also think you know it's again it's it's just a good different. I don't want to spoil the story, but it's really um, it takes a lot of classic Green Lantern tropes. The Manhunters are in the story, and I'm glad you give it more of a prominent place as far as the Manhunters uh, for his origin, because that really was obviously an afterthought. And I, I yeah. kind of like the way you guys decide, no, let's let's really bring the Manhunters to the beginning of the story. Well, I mean, the whole thing here is like the job is to sort of reimagine it in a streamlined way that you can just go into, you know, and and, and not have to know anything. And so... I mean, it kind of in a way, it doesn't matter how how it went with everything else because, like, we're going through and just and uh, and we're looking at the elements that work and and we're you know and not really making a giant effort to you know to hit buttons that everybody will recognize or whatever. But we're but we we want to use the things that are core to it. We want mm-hmm. it to feel like a Green Lantern book, no matter what, even if we're abandoning some things like the oath and some stuff that mm-hmm. just didn't really fit with the kind of story we wanted to tell. Sure. Absolutely. Well, that's the thing. And it is, it's a more realistic approach where the ring is more of an alien artifact rather than a sci-fi kind of, or, you know, I, I yeah, I don't even know how to possibly describe the difference. You guys probably can do it better. But, well, it's more of a. I think we made it more almost like a, a tool in keeping with the sci-fi sure. elements instead go. of uh, something more fantastical, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. and it, and it was also a lot about not. We didn't want the um, the lanterns to be chosen. You know, we didn't want there to be this kind of like uh, 
you know, big mystical sense that, you know, there are perfect, fearless people in the universe and, it, and the ring somehow finds them. I mean, which is fine. I mean, that's all that stuff is, you know, is great. And it's already out there. It all exists right. already. And yeah. the point is to do a different version. So the um, like a way that we could shift everything. Uh, was just by saying that this is a little bit more about personal responsibility and about uh, you having to live up to using the ring rather than it choosing someone who who it knows will use it well. I honestly think this uh, can sit right next to uh, Jeff Johnson's two volumes of uh, Batman Earth One in that same way that it's familiar but different and entertaining and and yeah it's a it's a different take. That is cleaner and, as you say, more streamlined. But I, I it, yeah, it's a great original story um, that has its own elements of, of surprises and that that you know, yeah, you won't you won't be like, yep, saw it, saw it, sure, whatever. You know, I forget who made on. Uh, I think it was it Van Lenty and Fowler at Marvel that did the Hulk. Yeah, year yeah. one. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I really think some of these really stand out, and I mean that's a good Marvel one that I think stands mm-hmm. out. Also, the Doctor Strange one, I thought. Was a, was a pretty good one. Um, yeah, but I honestly think these... You know, it's it was funny. The, I think the line started, obviously, with, ooh, Straczynski, let's see what he does with Superman, and also coming off of his misfire when he was doing the monthly. Um, I, I wasn't crazy about that take on Superman, but the Batman one really was like, wow, that's cool, all right, that's interesting. And uh, yeah. characters I mean, had different purposes. Thing, oh, Go ahead. No, part no. of the thing with this is that you know, I mean, they're called Earth One, and it's clearly a line of books, but they're not really – they don't actually interact with each other. You know, right. they're not um, – yeah, they're, they're, they're not in an interconnected universe, even though that kind of – the, the uh, imprint line suggests they are. And uh, and so, like, for us, it was about, you know, how do we – you know, how, how do we make this – feel like its own unique thing and have its own internal logic and its own world. And so like part of, and a little bit of the reason why we said it a little bit in the future was, you know, so that it would, well, that's not true. I mean, like we did that just because we, we liked the idea of it and we felt like that supported the, our concept of it. But, mm-hmm. but it was, it was, a you know, for us, it's as far as we're concerned, it's its own little world. It's the only thing that's happening, you know, like, uh, it, it, you know, there, there isn't a Superman and a Batman and everything else in this Understood. world. It's just this book. So like, and for us, that's good. Like, I, I think that, um, I mean, for me, continuity in the, you know, the, the sort of big picture continuity can, you know, a, a lot of people love it and a lot of people love to play in that, but I think that it can hamper, uh, writing in a certain way because it's because you're not in control of the world and at least in this for us our ability to control the world that we're telling the story in gave us more freedom understood i uh i mean it it ends the story ends but obviously leaves a, a a place open where we can have a chapter two and i certainly hope that uh sales dictate that yes let's get more of this i wonder too if this is one of those uh, and i don't know if you know about this for the line itself if it's more, uh, or in in addition to being a direct market product, that it's possibly a, a library product and a non Wednesday yeah. Warrior product. That's the whole idea, really. Yeah. You know that it uh, that it be something that just be you know that be accessible to everybody, that right. be accessible to, to direct market stuff, but also to libraries and to bookstores. You know, sure. And I mean, I think that that's the whole idea with the whole line of it, and. Uh, and I mean, I just and, and I think that's really good. I mean, it's certainly good to reach out, but it's also good just from the 
a storytelling perspective. You know, I mean, sure. like it, it says you're telling a story that uh, that people it needs to be accessible to people. And I, all the stuff we've done, we want it to be something that people can read without knowing everything. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Plus, it's it's just really exciting and fun to know that you're books are in a library because I certainly have very fond memories of going to libraries and discovering things when I was a kid. So yeah. hopefully people are doing that with this and maybe then they'll decide that they really like Green Lantern. And, and it's also a nice fucking hardcover, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a nice kid. fucking hardcover. It's a good Absolutely. looking book. Absolutely. Know? And if I may, too, because you guys were kind enough to send it to me digitally, it looks great on a tablet. It really does. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, and that's also down to Jordan Boyd, our colorist, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, and I'll also uh, say uh, Simon Ballin, our, our letterer, uh-huh. you know, like it. And w- who's the whole team from Invisible Republic as well? I mean, the, I was going to ask. Uh, OK. You know, everybody on this was uh, was our, our team from Invisible Republic. So Usually uh, you can see the symmetry between the two. Absolutely. So that's good. Yeah. That's absolutely yeah, yeah. good. No, it's beautiful. And again, yeah, we'll be talking about Invisible Republic in a second. But yeah, it's uh, no, I, I, I really I in fact, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working overnights in uh, radio now and I took this in and was showing a friend because they were just like, uh, All right, you know, hey, who are you talking to? And I said, oh, you know, actually, I'm, I'm talking to and I said, you guys and I showed them the art and they were blown away. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, cool. So, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, well, that's the thing, Gabe. I mean, uh, really, ever since uh, Agents of Atlas, I think, is the first thing I saw of yours. I'm pretty sure. Of you and Jeff. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure it was. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. that was that was the first thing I did, you know, since I, came you know, back. came back. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, um, and certainly we put a lot of work into it. And, you know, uh, Jordan and I had sort of developed, uh, uh, you know, our way of working together over the course of, you know, doing Invisible Republic, but also, you know, several freelance things before that. And um, uh, but this I mean, this was a bit of a different approach because uh, like conceptually from the beginning, I wanted it to be something where we start with with uh, with the world uh, when they're mining on the asteroid and stuff like that uh, as a a very cold, like, uh, you know, unfriendly world and uh and then as he goes out into the uh the the galaxy and sees these different planets the colors open up and it and uh and it gives you a very different sense of the tone and the worlds and all that sort of stuff so it it builds and expands in a way that it that a lot of the other stuff we uh do uh hasn't because like that's that's about keeping this one particular tone or in invisible republic it's about separating two different kinds of tones that play next to each other yes Absolutely. Well, and the, and the tech always uh, in in Green Lantern, I think, looks great, and the space you know the spaceships look great, and the uh, the alien tech looks good, and and the alien worlds. Um, it's uh, as you say, um, there the 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 Green Lanterns have been wiped out, and now are kind of it's like putting the band back together and trying to find people who may or may not have rings, and it's going to do, a lot of planet hopping and. Uh, a lot of different alien races all in one story and and it it's and it's also cool. very point of view driven at least this first volume is very that suggested there's going to be another one <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> there, there there might not be uh the but uh the it's it's very point of view driven from uh from Jordan's point of view and like it uh and like not Jordan our colorist <laughs> yeah that's always a <laughs> Thing. I thought it was very from Jordan's point of view, but uh, yeah, it's only from the colorist point of view. Uh, no, uh, the uh, it's so like we we really wanted it to be something where uh, the everything else about 
the in continuity green lantern stuff is so expansive and big and about a billion different things and and uh you know and colors and emotions and all this sort of stuff and so in stripping it down we just wanted to bring it back to being from this guy's point of view you know the, sure. this guy's point of view of revealing what that big galaxy is out there you know and uh so i mean like that's that's what takes us to the uh takes us to these other worlds and we see it from his point of view so that we we can get this big contrast from where he came from well and and uh you know of course only in recent memory the best the only other best example of this kind of hal jordan who is new to all of this unfortunately is the ryan reynolds movie but i really think you guys succeed and because it's it is a different your book is a different portrayal of Hal. not of course different from the ryan reynolds one which is you know, more Van Wilder in space, and and that you know this is a little a lot more serious, and also a guy that really is like kind of learning on the job, in a way that I don't think we got even in um you know those original showcase things, right? You know, and again that that makes sense from a narrative standpoint back in the fifties when the hero kind of did have to come become ready by yeah, the well, middle, and- middle of his origin story. And there really is nobody to teach him in this, you know, I mean, like we're sort of subverting that idea of the mentor type character who comes along and uh, the in, you know, in that movie, in, uh, you know, in a lot of other stuff, it's just you get taken off there off to the to Oa and it's like, well, okay, we're going to train you how to be a Green Lantern. And it's like it's all laid out for him. And we want to just strip all that stuff away. Down to the even the no costume either, and really, it's just kind of an augmentation of his his spacesuit. Really, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, absolutely. And uh, like, I, I think that that I, we just wanted it to be simple, and like, sure. he's not going to go to a tailor or whatever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's going to space he tailor. Was, he was too busy for that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, like, it, it's it, oh, and and we didn't want it to be a magical thing that in that where the ring created a suit for him, you know, it's just simple, you know, like you said, a tool, Karina. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, I get it. And it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun and it's great. And again, I I think uh, you strip away what isn't necessary and, and also I think keep a lot more mystery of what he's encountering through the story rather than again, that original, uh, I think it was Gil Kane that did that original uh, showcase. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, the, you know, the, certainly and John the, Broom, John right? Broom, right. The flash, yeah. the great flash and Green Lantern writer, John Broom, who was excellent. Yeah. And I, you know, I love that story. And it's funny that you got that bundle of, of Silver Age stuff. I know I bought uh, those black and white showcases and picked, sure. picked one that was like well into the late 60s and Gil Kane was still drawing, but it was kind of before the Bronze Age really took over, certainly mm-hmm. before the Denny O'Neill, Neil, Ad- yeah. uh, Neil Adams stuff, um, which I love as well. Uh, no, this is, again, it's a very different Hal Jordan, but I think it makes sense, and it's a much more, as it's supposed to be, you know, yeah, accessible first story that you're just kind of on the journey with Hal figuring all this stuff out. I think it's great, man, honestly, and I'm really, uh, I'm glad that, uh, I, I wasn't sure what the status was of the Earth One books, if there are more to come, or well, I don't think that they had done what I mean, like I, I, you know, I got I don't think that they had done one in a bit. And I think that the uh, but it wasn't because they didn't want to. I think okay. it was because, you know, maybe I mean, I have no idea, but I don't know if well, they were working. With DC, yeah, but, but, the, but it seemed that they had developed some things for Earth One books that hadn't necessarily quite come together. 
I know they tried to develop a different Green Lantern one. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. But uh, but like uh, it, this I think that this thing just kind of like you know fell into place, and we I I made a big point to uh, to make it so that we you know DC moved out to Burbank. Here. Right. We live in Los Angeles. We live not that far from there. Okay. And so I made a point. We made a point to go and just pitch it to them in real life. <laughs> it was a movie, you know, sure. like a movie pitch. And uh, and so we just went in and went to uh, met with Dan and Jim Lee and we just pitched it like, you know, verbally to them and showed them a little bit of art and, you know, tried to make it exciting. And and like Jim Lee pitched in with some great ideas, which got into the book. Cool. And, uh, you know, and it was uh, uh, and I think that it just was a thing that came together really well. You know, it just happened. Would you guys say that um, and, and based on what you just said, too? I know that going back to uh, the New 52 era when it first started, there were a lot of uh, one-shots and things that were made that essentially were, okay, we've got a a character. The last time anyone touched it was 1978 or whatever, or even earlier. If we were to take You mean Ragman? Ragman, Rosen, Rosenthorn. Uh, I mean, I can the Green Team. I know Art and Franco were handed. That oh, assignment. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that's the thing that there are a lot of these things. Like, okay, do something, modernize this, in case somebody does want to, as they look over the library, maybe think about a TV show, maybe think about a movie. And there is a good, and I mean this in the best way, because obviously, all the comic book readers, we want a good comic book. We don't want to just read a movie pitch or a TV pitch. But I do think from a cinematic standpoint, this does work. And I'm sure they have already different plans in the works for whatever they're going to do with Green Lantern. But this, if there was a world where you know, this was going to be a, hey, we're thinking about doing a space movie, you could hand it to him and say, well, how about something like this? I could see this being made into a very effective TV show or movie, obviously. Sure, sure. I mean, it, it doesn't mean much to us because we're sure. just doing this book. And so, yeah. you know, it, it, but, uh, the, but you know, absolutely. I mean, there's a, a lot of talk with that sort of stuff, but, but we really were just trying to make the most effective comic that Obviously. we could. Well, and further, but, uh, go on. No. I mean, I, and if they offer us anything that's... Uh, um, you know, Jerry Siegel wrote in the late seventies, you know, that we could revive. <laughs> I, I, I'd be totally open to it. That's cool. Well, and also, you know, they, DC has been pretty loud about, uh, making more young, you know, YA, uh, graphic novels. And, you know, they've got their zoom line and I forget the name of the other line that's similar to zoom where they are kind of targeting again, non-direct market platforms to put out books and everything. And, and, you know, spin their characters in a different way for different audiences, and I think they're being very aggressive about it in a in a very positive way. And, yeah, you know, should. Why, why not? I mean, sure. yeah, absolutely. Um, Karina had to step out for a minute because she has to go give our dog some medicine. But she'll I be understand. right back. Well, that that makes sense. Being the guardian of animals, that's that's cool. Yeah. Um, so, hey, all right. Well, while while I'm talking to you, um, hey, I, I enjoyed your participation in uh, that documentary uh, from last year or two years ago. Oh yeah, the husband and wife team. That uh, the husband was a yeah Harold Michaels. Yeah, Harold Michaels. Yeah, Harold Michaels. And what was his uh, yeah. wife's name? And Lillian. Okay, Harold and Lillian Michaels. Yes, yeah. great documentary. I saw it on Turner Classic Movies. They were. It was a month where they were talking a lot about uh, the Hollywood Actors Home. That you know, is it? Is it called the right. Actors Home? Am I saying it right? I think that's right. I know um, that there are not actors that that stay there as well, but basically, yeah, yeah retire. Well, yeah, it's not just for actors; it's it's for people in the union. Yeah, 
No, that was great, man. And I remember when you were talking about actually like shooting your segments and stuff. But man, what a great story! And you know, again, we we take for granted some of the other jobs in uh, the movie business and television business. I don't. I don't. That's what I do for a living. <laughs> I, I do the other jobs. I'm saying the audience way, but you know what I'm saying. All right, whatever. <laughs> But it was great. It was really cool. And you suddenly, it's like, oh, that's the person who came up with X or whatever. And yeah, you know, like, well, that that shot, that storyboard of the uh, of of the the angle from the graduate, where you know, it's uh, the shot through her legs on Dustin Hoffman and the Are yes. you trying to seduce me thing? I mean, that is just such a. I mean, I think I said this in the movie, but like, it's such a, a like an iconic moment, and it's right there in the boards. You absolutely. know, I mean, that's amazing. No, it was. It was really, really great, and uh, yeah, I'm really glad that we've learned more about that story. I'm, I'm going to look that up. I got to, I got to think of the title. Do you know the title I've had? It was Harold and Lillian uh, Hollywood love, love Story or something like yeah, that. Yeah, love story. I mean, it, it was. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm glad that it actually got on Turner Classic Movies and got seen a little bit more because you never know with stuff like that. Totally, you know? and um, and it's just good for people to have some awareness of below the line stuff you know yes sir absolutely that's understood you know no no uh, question yeah no i enjoyed it a lot and uh no i was really happy that you were able to participate in it because as you say i mean some of this stuff does kind of come and go and it might play in a couple of festivals it may not and uh, i'm glad that like you said i'm glad turn yeah absolutely it and actually it was uh, down to uh Fialkov. uh he was friends he's friends with the director oh that's crazy uh, that's josh fantastic F- josh Fialkov, and, yeah uh, so he like he uh, the director needed somebody who was like, you know, a, a, a top storyboard artist of now, you know, to talk about this. Sure. And who could also talk. And I can do that. Mostly. Well, and also with the frame of knowledge of appreciating old movies as well. Oh, yeah. So no, how is that with I mean, when you work on a, a movie and you're doing storyboard stuff, are you working with other uh, storyboard board artists as well? Is it really it- just depends. I mean, it, the, the often. Uh, there will be, you know, kind of a, a room, an art department with a room of storyboard artists. And, you know, on a big movie, they'll, you know, there'll be multiple board artists working. But uh, it really depends on the film. And uh, also, I refuse to leave the house anymore. So I won't <laughs> go over there. Like, I've been in a fucking art department for many, many years. And I'm, I've had enough. And also, I don't want to drive in Los Angeles anymore. So, like, or, I mean, I just don't want to commute. I understand. drive. No, no, I but, get it. But um, the uh, uh, so more often than not now, I I just work from home and I go in for meetings with the director and you know uh, that's what I I mean I did Logan um, that came out last year oh, the wow. Wolverine movie and um, and worked with uh, Jim Mangold on that for a really long time and uh, and w- you know that was a really good experience uh, I I had you know, a lot of input in the movie and, uh, and I, uh, and, but it was, and, and a couple of the guys worked on it, uh, Mark Vina and, uh, a couple other storyboard artists. And, uh, and, but like, we didn't really interact with each other that much. We were, we were all just kind of working remotely and coming in and for meetings and stuff like that. And, uh, and, uh, and that's much more how I prefer to do it because I mean, for the most part, the job you do is, uh, you meet with the director, you talk about a scene, uh, and for the most part, I don't even get specific shots from the director so much as just a tone for the scene and the kinds of things I want. And I go away and I do it and I pitch it to them and they give, make adjustments on that. So most of my time is just off 
you know, working the thing out and and drawing it up to show to them. So if I'm working in the office, like I, there are other people who are interacting with everybody all the time. They have to interact with everybody all the time. But in in this world where everything that I need from the art department is on Dropbox and everything, you know, uh, everything is available to me, whether I'm there or not, I'm kind of getting it the same way, okay. whether I'm in the office or not. So it's, it's just, I'd, I'd rather work from home and hang out with the dog. No, I understand and not get out too. Karina, are you back? I don't want to ignore She's you. She's not back yet. Okay, that's good. All right, well, that's fine because I want to stay on this for a second. Uh, excellent. And you'll let me know, obviously, and we'll involve Karina. Yes, I will let back. you know. Thank you. I will subtly let you know somehow. <laughs> um, <laughs> so are there um, two things? One, with Logan specifically. Uh, so, you know, I always love to point out to people when we're watching Superman Returns, the Brandon Routh movie, and we get to the... Uh, space shuttle or or passenger shuttle scene. Yeah, I'm like, oh, my buddy Gabe came up with this, and he, <laughs> I truly yeah, I yeah. say that with pride because it's literally one of the best uh, moments in the movie, and it's awesome that you know you're my friend and I can say, hey, that's cool. My buddy did that, really, and I do tell them, hey, this came from the storyboard guy as opposed to the director, as you just described. Are there moments in Logan, and I, I and I don't mean for you to, you know, if you're embarrassed to say it, but are, are there specific moments that you're like, hey, yeah, that was mine. Um, I don't know if I mean not not as intensely as that because Jim, the director, is very involved, and so and a lot of it is about you know, and he's a writer as well. So um, so while the movie um, it really evolved over the course of me working on it, I mean there were, it went through a couple of drafts before what you saw, right? Okay. And and I worked on those and I contributed to those and uh and you know in a certain way a lot of what I did on it like some of I mean I boarded tons of it, but a lot of the most influential stuff I think I did was uh was kind of illustrations and keyframes that sort of set the tone for the movie. Okay. Early on when the script was still evolving. Okay. So um like and I think that and Jim has said this. And like, I think that that's, uh, you know, it was that kind of, and some of these, uh, you know, some of these keyframes have been out there in the world. And, and I, I did a sort of noirish thing with it that kind of, you know, was, was a, a part of setting the tone for how the, for everybody understanding what the movie was going to be. Excellent. And because the movie was a very different kind of thing, you know, I mean, when I was working on it, I remember talking to somebody in comics and saying that I was working on the third Wolverine movie. And they were like, why <laughs> sure. you just pick something else? You know, sure. I was like, no, I think it's going to be pretty good. You know, <laughs> like it's, it's, uh, uh, it, it was, it, you know, the fact that it was trying to be something different was why I was working on it and why I was excited about it. Well, and that's, and, and that also, and I, I heard the door. So I'm assuming unless the dog has learned how to open and close the door, that Karina's back. Uh, no, no, she's not here. Oh, that's hilarious. Okay. <laughs> No, no, wait. She's here. She's okay. here. Sorry. That was a false alarm. Well, I do want, because, yeah, I, I want to finish this up about Logan and also just the direction of where superhero movies are going. I, I obviously, I mean, that's the thing. Logan obviously was another game changer in a different way that, as people have pointed out, with Deadpool. And, and it really is this great level of, uh, you know, sophistication and appreciation of the character and figuring out a way of saying, no, no, no. You know, like it's not a nerd thing. This is a really good story and really and a really interesting character, and it, and it, it's it's a big leap forward in superhero movie making. Um, was as you say now that that Logan did change as as you were working on it. 
but did you sense it in the beginning that no, 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 this is different in the same way that yeah. like the Nolan movies? It was movies. always going to be different. Yeah, it was always going to be different. It was just that finding exactly you know the the way to approach it sure. evolved over the course of it. But in that evolving, there was a lot of you know we did a lot of work and we explored different things, and and so uh, it it was kind of just all part of the process of getting to what the final thing was. And, uh, you know, in a, in a positive sort of way. And you work on things for a long time. And I went to New Orleans and worked on it for a while and uh, where they were shooting. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and towards the end of it, uh, that trailer came out with the Johnny Cash song in it. Yes. And, like, and I, was, I was in the office and uh, they were like, oh, hey, have you seen the trailer? And, you know, visual effects put it up on the big screen. And I was like, you know, it was like right before it came out. And I was like. Oh, holy shit. Yeah, this was the movie we were making the whole time. <laughs> like that's, you know, like you get a little burnt out at a certain point and it's like, oh, yeah, right. No, that's it. You know, that's cool. So uh, like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was actually pretty happy with that movie. I, I, I liked how it worked out. And, you know, again, you what was your first superhero movie? Was it Spider one of the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans? No, it was X-Men 2. Oh, wow. Well, uh, that was the first one that got made. Uh, I worked on a Silver Surfer movie uh, before that. that oh, interesting. Didn't happen. Okay. That was, no, it was not interesting. Actually, <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, but, that, but that's kind of where my question is going because um, you know there there are some people that are like, all right, enough with the superhero movies; it's oversaturated. And yeah, I'm that's like, me. well, go ahead. Is that, is that your feeling? <laughs> yes. But continue. <laughs> well, well, because honestly, and and you might have, I might have said this with you guys, and I might have said this. I know I've said it before on the podcast. To me, it's like, you know, we're like the Western in terms of we're really at the beginning still. And there's a lot of different places that I do think uh, a superhero movie, speaking generically, can direction-wise can go still that hasn't been explored yet with the right filmmakers and the right, Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the right people can, involved. Yeah, There are loads of genres within superhero right. And obviously that was our approach to the Green Lantern book, yeah. you know, yes. that... that we could make a sci-fi thing out of it. So, uh, you know, a pulpy sci-fi thing that is, you know, yeah. like in the spirit of the tradition of the thing. And, you know, I mean, there's certainly there there. You could you can do most any kind of genre in it. I mean, I think that the thing that it um, that it runs up against that other things don't necessarily is this idea that um, that the you know, that the hero has to be doing heroic things <laughs> that the you know and the and it and it there's some there are ways that it narrows your options in certain ways but there but there are other ways to do it that that aren't that obviously you know i, I mean i didn't see deadpool but i assume that that's different i don't know <laughs> <laughs> what's the last superhero movie beyond logan that you guys saw I don't think I've seen that many other ones. I don't know. What if, um, <laughs> uh, I know. Look, if I talk about them, I will say bad things. And we don't want that. We want people to like me. <laughs> we already do like you, Gabe. I mean, it's certainly the word balloon audience. Yeah, man. I mean, it's. I actually, I'm not sure what. Um, I don't know. I don't know. All right. It's just that I don't, I don't like it, it's. I don't have a depth of superhero movie knowledge, really. And I haven't really worked on a lot of them in recent years, you know, I mean, the, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've taken has been, you know, off of that track just because I spent so many years working on superhero movies. Sure. And that, I mean, the majority of my career has been that because the, you know, my career in movies has been the rise of, of superhero movies. So, and are you as a storyboard person, was it getting to the point where it's like, okay, we need a guy that already speaks the superhero film language. Let's get gay. Uh, was yeah. it like that? 
Not, not necessarily. I mean, it was more just that those are the movies that are getting made and those are the expensive movies that are getting made. And so that's what I get hired for things where they can afford me. And so uh, it, you know, but th- that said, I mean, I've, uh, you know, since for probably the last 10 years, since I've gotten into comics, I've done less superhero stuff in movies. I've, okay. I've done, you know, because I've never done a Marvel movie. And um, I have, I mean, a, you know, Marvel Studios. Marvel movie. Studios, right, because you did do one of the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans, right? Two or three? Yeah, but that's that's Sony. It's a different sure. thing. And oh, that was absolutely. actually before Marvel Studios was really a Understood. thing. They, I, I finished that third Spider-Man movie and got a call for, the, for Iron Man. Uh, right when I finished it, and I was like, "I'm not doing that. I'm wow. not doing another one of these." Interesting. Okay. Um, and because I was, I mean, I was totally burnt out, and uh, I, I just needed to take a break from everything, not just superheroes. So, um, but like, uh, and that's actually right when I got back into comics as well. Well, and but uh, I, go ahead. I was going to ask because you know, <clears throat> Edge of Tomorrow really found its audience, I think, on cable more so than when it was in the theaters. And uh, right now we are having a big budget movie. I don't know if it's a problem or whatever, but you know sometimes they do spend a shit ton of movie uh, money on a movie that isn't you know doesn't have some sort of book source to it or whatever, and it doesn't do too well. Or you even get a wrinkle in time that I'm not really sure how well it's necessarily doing. It doesn't look like it's doing as good as I think Disney had hoped, and it is kind of this weird point right now for films that do have the big budgets and stuff it's like you know do you gamble and do something original or do you you know lean on something that is coming from a franchise that has a following whether it's in novel form or comics or whatever yeah but i don't think it's just that because i think that it's about um it they're becoming a narrower and narrower like uh kind of thing that you could make that you that people think will come to a theater and see it versus people who will watch things on a streaming service right totally and you know and like the the way that the and there's just less money in everything now and uh and the the things make less money i mean despite these very few huge tentpole movies making money right it's going down a line that's not you know that that's not going to go forever. So, what do you both think? And we're just in the middle of all of it, and nobody knows really what to do. Yeah, nobody knows what's going. On. And that's my question. And Karina, well, I want to involve you as well, and I want to talk about some stuff that you've been doing individually as well. But uh, is uh-huh. regarding regarding this new place that Hollywood and filmmaking has found itself. I rem- I, I remember just a couple months ago, Jodie Foster complaining that the films that she made that made her famous, obviously are finding a more difficult way of getting into the theaters. I would argue back that yes, but thanks to streaming, there you know, there are there are films there. But how do you both feel about that shift where Netflix is making, you know, those more kind of traditional Hollywood movies and making them for streaming versus the theaters and stuff. What do you got what do you guys think about that? Well, all I know is I went to see Annihilation twice at the theater because I really wanted to see it at the theater. And then I was like, wow, this is awesome. Cool. I'm yeah. going to see it again. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, so, like, the, I mean, that's the theatrical experience. Yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, it also only got distribution in, like, a limited distribution in I the know, U.S. It's, it's a pity. And went but, to Netflix everywhere else. But, I mean, I went to the, we went to see it because, well, I loved the book, so, of course, I had to see it. And then I was like, oh, I need to get a group of friends to go see it. Cool. So, you know, I mean, that's something that if you're just sitting on the couch, isn't 
going to happen. Yeah, yeah, you don't get that experience. And certainly a movie like that that has, and then is you a can't sort go of, to the bar afterwards and talk about yeah, it. Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, it's a, <laughs> right. a slow burn movie like that that ha- that's very atmospheric and you know is something that is a different experience in the theater. Mm-hmm. I mean, so but, I hope that doesn't go away because. But I think it's going to go away. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I just don't know how. I, I mean, unless, you know, unless there's some sort of, you know, resurgence in, you know, that that could happen. You things, you know, things change. Things happen. Vinyl records exist. But yeah, the um, but like. But a vinyl record of the soundtrack for Annihilation does not exist. Yeah, that's I don't know true. What the hell is up that's with that? That's a great soundtrack, <laughs> is it? I really liked it. I, I want the soundtrack on vinyl, but uh, yeah, it doesn't exist. Yeah. So wait, it, it is already streaming now in other in other places. In other countries, yeah, well, it was a thing where countries. Okay. they uh, the um, there was some sort of mess where they weren't confident that uh, basically after Blade Runner made no money, they weren't confident that a, a like a smarter sci-fi movie could make money in the theater. Wow. And uh, so they. Even though that book was such a big deal. Yeah, well, but, it, but, you know, whatever. but they and so they kind of freaked out and sold the worldwide rights of it to uh, to Netflix. And then I think maybe in the U.S., Canada and the U.K., maybe it got a, a limited theatrical release. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, like it, it's it, I just don't I think it's a place where no one knows, you know, no. And, and you know, it's it's nice to say that things get uh, um you know, some things get made by Netflix. A lot of things get acquired by Netflix and uh, and or, you know, other streaming services. But the fact is, there's such an enormous amount of content out there. Yep. Even finding something is, is nearly impossible, much less hearing about it. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think that that's that, you know, there's so much material out there that nobody even knows exists. It's totally it's, it's it's pretty daunting. Well, and every every month we're hearing about a new streaming service too, and that's where I think the oversaturation is when every studio kind of wants to do its own streaming service and you know set up their little you know streaming stand and everything. And hey, come check out our content. And it's like, Jesus, man. I mean, you know, I'm already buying five different yeah. services, yeah. Yeah. and it's just <laughs> as bad as cable. When when the streaming bill comes and it's you know the same size as the cable bill, it's like what the hell's going on? <laughs> and you can't do sure. it. So, yeah, yeah, certainly not. You know, you can't have them all at the same time. Definitely not. No, absolutely. Have you had opportunities to do television uh, storyboarding as far as like any sort of series that would need some sort of conceptual look that is different than just standard looks or whatever? Uh, No, because they don't pay. Interesting. (laughs) Wow. It's television. It costs less. They they pay less. I guess. You know, I mean, like and I work in movies, you know, so I mean. Like, uh, it's not impossible. You know, it's not impossible that I would work on something. Right. And I have done... No, we have in, that flashlight from that one thing you did long, long Oh, yeah. Ago. Like, 20 years ago, I worked on a pilot. And we still have the the, the uh, flashlight they, they gave out flashlight. as a crew gift. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was a good flashlight. Um, uh, <laughs> it's a, it's <laughs> the, a flash. Help me out. What are you talking about with flashlight? What is it? Oh, like, it's... Um, they give you it's, a swag? It's, it's, a, it's a mag light. With the name of the, oh, the show written. Oh, I see. Yeah. Sure. So it's literally, it's, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, it's literally like a, a flashlight yeah. from the show. I, I get it. I have my Falling Skies uh, coffee thermos from TNT. Exactly. So I know. Right. Exactly but did what you work on Falling Skies? I did not. Whatever but I, that is. I did the press. I did the press junket for it. That was Noah Wiley's. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that's good. Enough. Yeah, I okay. did not work on it. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, doing the press junket is torture enough. I'm yeah. Sure. That's... The, um, <laughs> 
Nice. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think I've worked occasionally on pilots. They'll have some more money for a pilot and I'll do sure. some boards. Uh, I mean, but it's usually something where I've known the, the director is a feature director I've worked with before. Um, the same way that I'll do. The only way I do commercials is if it's with a director that I've worked with on features because I know them and, you know, it's it's just a, a limited sort of thing. Have you done commercials uh, lately? No, I haven't done one in years, okay. actually. No, okay. I, think I, sure. I did one with Jim Mangold a couple of years ago, but, um, oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was it. You know, like, I, uh, I, I just, I'm, I personally, I'd, I'd rather not. And I know, and I, and I'd rather spend my time on, I mean, like, I, the way that I try to work it is I spend a certain amount of time on movies and then I spend the rest of the time working on comics. Sure. And, you know, it's, I, that, I, I, that's the way I like it. I hear you, man. Well, Karina, I'm going to ask you because, you uh, finished your uh, run on Angel. How long ago did you finish your run on Angel? Forget me. Oh, goodness. That's been uh, that long. Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, I was done back in uh, July. Did a I long time before. Wow. Okay, it was last yeah. summer. I thought it might yeah. have been at the end of the year, and maybe it came out at the end of the year, and that's why I was Yeah, thinking. I mean, uh, and Dark Horse is very uh, – they, they work way ahead. Yes. So, so like more Much more so, so than, than other companies. Than yeah, some yeah. others, yeah. I understand. So, but, so yeah, <laughs> well, I'm a diehard Angel fan. So, and even more so than a Buffy fan. In fact, I came to my had a Boston radio that was into comics and stuff, and uh, they were just starting their WB or CW uh, season when Buffy was still on UPN or whatever, and it was the last. It was the last Angel season, and he's like, "You got to watch Angel." I'm telling you, you got to watch it. And I'm like, "All right," <laughs> and I did it. I immediately fell in love with it. And then TNT was still running the reruns every day, so I was able to catch up. And you know, get all informed and everything. So uh, you were on it for several volumes, weren't you? Uh, yeah, I was on it for a full year, so that's uh, three. Yeah, three volumes. That's cool. That's yeah, so twelve issues. So, yeah, so was it fun? Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I like doing stuff that's kind of has a horror tinge to it. And even though this is, you know, there's a lightheartedness to yeah. some of the characters. That's definitely got a horror streak. No so question. that was really fun. yeah. But it was adventure horror, and I think that's yeah, why exactly. I liked it so much. And yeah, and I mean, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a huge Team Angel fan and everything. And I know that you know uh, certainly when the series ended, half of the cast was dead. And yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure half the fun was either reviving people. Did you revive anybody that was dead, or did they had they already been? resurrected by the time you got to start writing it because i know obviously uh yeah they had they had been resurrected i mean and uh so wesley so and fred, i just wesley and fred were uh alive again or uh well i know fred, fred yeah actually every well i know it's complicated <laughs> i know fred became illyria and everything and this yeah. is totally for the angel fans and i'm sure like yeah we know dude but uh i haven't had a chance to talk about that but uh that's cool and wesley came back as well and and of course then uh Angel in the Buffy Dark Horse stuff killed Giles, right? Yeah, but well, that was complicated too. Sure, man. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, yes, but I mean, in this, in my um, my run on it, though, they explicitly wanted it to just be a sort of standalone time travel road trip without a lot of those um, complicating factors, okay. because a lot of that stuff was um, very. I guess entwined with what was going on in Buffy as well, so they wanted to allow that to play out over there. And so. was Faith part of your run as well? Uh, no, no. Okay. They 
have other plans apparently. So all right, fair enough. Because for a while it was it was that right, like it was yeah, it was, it was Angel and Faith. Was I know for team, a while. So, yeah, but um, yeah, they you know because before I, it's not just me making you know uh, there there are marching orders where <laughs> these things go on because everything's tied together to other other runs and stuff. Okay. So so yeah, they. Very, I I can't say what's going on with Faith, but uh, yeah, she has her own thing going. Okay, what's been happening? Well, <laughs> well, then let's focus on you. What have you been doing since Post Angel and stuff? Obviously, the Green Lantern book, but what else is uh, yeah, going on? Yeah, Green Lantern. Um, I co-wrote a book that's totally not a comic and not fiction called uh, for the Smithsonian called uh, Smithsonian Dig It: Dinosaurs and Prehistoric Creatures. And, Fantastic. Uh, Brenda Scott Royce and I uh, co-wrote that, so. That should be out in October. Oh wow! That's yeah. So is it a, is it a picture book or is it both? Or I mean, you know, I, it's it's um it's for young readers. Sure. So it's uh, you know, exactly like it sounds. It's sort of an introduction to dinosaurs and prehistoric creatures and when they lived and a lot of incorporating a lot of new technology and stuff. And this is, I mean, you you've been working, you know, uh, volunteering oh, yeah. at, the, at the Natural History Museum doing fossil uh, preparation, fossil preparation. Yeah. and so that's that's part of this. And like, it's been and a she couple has first-hand of uh, knowledge. Of yeah, it all. a couple of weeks in the field this uh, last summer, digging up dinosaur bones. So. Oh man, you know, I remember now that you say that that I think in one of our con con uh, convention conversations. Yeah, I'm going to say con conversations, but yeah, that that uh, yeah, you mentioned you were going on digs and stuff. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was really, really fun. It was amazing. And then I came back and uh, I got this opportunity to write this book. I was like, I think I could do that now. Yeah, that that works. Yeah. So <laughs> that's very cool. Are there any are there new comic book projects coming up for you or that are already out post uh, Angel? Uh, there are a couple of things coming up. But I'm not allowed right. to say. I mean, aside from I did have a little short thing in um, the new Planned Parenthood anthology called Mine, and uh, I think that's available right around now. Actually, yeah, that, that's. Now. I mean, I drew that. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. 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 Very very. Yeah, cool. I should probably mention that. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't well. just me. <laughs> Excellent. And you know, I just talked to uh, Dana Gould. Uh, he's uh, adapting, and I know we've talked about it text-wise. He's adapting Rod Serling's original uh, Planet of the Apes treatment that oh, right. didn't oh, get filmed yes. and was much more complicated, represented a bit by that screen test that they did two years before the movie came out with Edward G. Robinson and, and Heston. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, right. And, uh, yeah, they, I, they were... They were talking. Boom was talking about doing a series of those because I know they asked me about it, but... Um, uh, yeah, right. no. I, hopefully, they do a bunch of them. Yeah, well, yeah, that'll be interesting. Well, you guys, as I always like to point out, truly, uh, and I always like just to call it, and they really should just re- release like an anthology of your guys' stuff all collected, and just call it Young Doctor's Ass because it's because <laughs> essentially that's what it is, and it's so great. I, yeah, I mean, we, I mean, we love doing that. Yeah, man. Books. Oh my god, I, I look forward to whatever the Dana Gould thing ends up being. I, yeah. yeah, I think it's going to be fun, and it's you know, again, I. You, you, I don't know. Did you guys? I got to be honest. I watched the first James Franco one of the new stuff, and I know you. Uh, did you end up working on that, Gabe, or were you? Were you, you know, uh, no, I didn't. I worked on the second one. Okay, but not 
not like I, I wasn't that involved. In it. I worked on it early on yeah. for um, you know a couple of months, sure. but not. I wasn't deeply involved in well, the movie, I and I've actually never seen it. Okay. I, I've never. I didn't see the second or third you one. See, so. That's where I was going, unfortunately, and it's without any malice or anything. But there's just something about going back to the originals that, you know, it's just it was so great. And you you know you mentioned it too when you say Annihilation, and that you really needed to see it in the theater to really get the full experience. Um, I remember Roddy McDowell talking about uh, seeing the 68 movie at, you know, years later on the big screen. And he's like, you know, after seeing it for years on television, it had been so long. And he's like, you really appreciate the scope of the movie. And, you know, Frank Schaffner, the director who also directed Patton, and a very accomplished uh, film director, as I know you guys know. Um, came out alive to <laughs> come out, exactly came out of live television i believe did the original 12 angry men i want to say i believe that's right yeah. oh yeah that's right so yeah man uh this is always whenever i talk to uh gabe and certainly karina as well this is always becomes a word balloon scene missing where there's a lot of old, <laughs> old hollywood talk but you know that's the thing you see that I, I always bring it up that scene in the cornfield when you first see the humans you haven't seen the apes yet and you just see the rustling of the cornfields and all of a sudden, the ape shows up on horseback. It is really this spectacular film moment that needs to be appreciated on the big screen. And it just, yeah, yeah, but it's, it's also the other reason it works, though. The reason it works is what they don't show you, right. and the reason it works is because they build up to it. Yep, right? Yep. It's a, the sequence is about getting there. You know, it's about uh, it's about what's going on. Even though you, you fucking know they're apes in this movie, it's called Planet of the Apes. <laughs> but the uh, but like you it. it, it you you get there, you know, yeah. and and even though and it's suspense, you, the fact that you know it's coming already makes that scene better because the suspense of building it up, as opposed to the mystery of building it up, Agreed. you know. Yes, and like that's that kind of stuff is what I think about all the time. I mean, in comics, in movies, whatever. It's about you know how do you get there, not just showing everything, not just explaining everything, not just you know uh, in comics, not just having you know, captions that explain what everybody thinks all the time, which I'm not a fan of. I mean, I, anytime I open a book and somebody says that, uh, uh, is reminiscing about what their father always told them in, in a caption on the first page, I just stop reading it because like, I, I just, you know, it, like it's, uh, like just explaining stuff to people is not the idea. The idea is to bring them into the world and build up and reveal things and, and, and draw people into the world that you're trying to create. And that's, that's what that scene does. I agree. No, that's excellent. Well, let's talk about Invisible Republic because uh, where I know you guys are kind of on hiatus with it. What's what's going on? Uh, well, we're like halfway through. We did the first three volumes of it, okay. and yeah. then uh, for you know, like partly to get the Green Lantern book done, sure. partly just because I ended up with movie commitments. Um, the we've we've been working on the follow up volume, but we're not going to solicit it until it's done. Smart. Uh, so, okay. uh, like, we we don't want to end up, you know, behind the eight ball trying to, you know, crank out the book because you know of it being solicited or whatever. So, um, we're just going to try to get the next. There'll be uh, there would be three more arcs of it. Okay. And uh, so when the next arc of it is finished, that's when we're going to solicit it. So um, you know. We just want to like keep it orderly. Yeah, understood. Well, and refresh my memory because I don't have the publishing dates in front of me. But when was the first volume made? Fifteen? Twenty fifteen? Yeah, twenty fifteen. In, in March yeah. of twenty fifteen. Okay. So well, and, uh, and now in this Trump uh, era, and I understand that first of all, because I don't want anyone who hasn't read it to misunderstand. 
it's it's not about Trump. There's no coded Trump <laughs> well, message. Well, no, I mean it came out before all right, this shit happened. Right. But that's the thing, <laughs> yeah. and it is, and it's it's just such a great sci-fi political story that you can appreciate uh, the rise of this uh, former dictator who has since fallen. Yeah, and also. You know the 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 people in his periphery that you know whether it's his cousin or the other people that were involved in his movement, and you're you're real. It's it it reads differently because I remember reading that first volume when it came out, and um, you know I and as I'm sure a lot of comic readers sometimes you get busy and stuff, and I hadn't read uh, the third uh, volume right away, but it was great coming back to it and refreshing, and now it's like oh my god it it that's the best <laughs> yeah. thing about art. Is when well, I mean, yeah. Unfortunately, we were looking back at things sure. at, at points in time yeah. when everything went really wrong, yes. and uh, incorporating those ideas into this book that we wanted to do forever, and then somehow uh, uh, real life caught up with us in this way that uh, you know, I mean, the the, the big downside for us in uh, well. The big downside for us in what's going on now is that, like, the country is being destroyed. Yeah. But that said, for our book, <laughs> yeah. uh, the, um, the, the problem is that the realities of Donald Trump and all of this stuff are so cartoonish and simplistic and obvious that us trying to tell this relatively nuanced story of everything coming apart – uh, feels like, uh, you know, and for you, it can feel like, oh, this is, you know, like you don't want to make it more on the nose, but it's like real life is making it more on the yeah, nose. Yeah, it makes it, it's hard to compete with, like, I would never invent a villain who is the stupid. Yeah, this stupid or cartoonish. <laughs> yeah. Like you wouldn't, tell, why would you, you couldn't tell a story with that? It would be boring, you know? Agreed. And like, I, or you just would, you would feel like, you're not doing your job as like a dramatist if you had a character that was that one dimensional, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, like. So it's a challenge. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, we, we still are. We're, we're going to still finish out the book and it, uh, you know, to the and, and stay on target, you know, uh, to the degree that we don't let uh, what's going on right now, uh, you know, get us off track. But I think that it's the book is relevant and resonant for what's going on yeah. either way. Well, and, yeah. and that's the thing. I mean, there's uh, you're following. We're, we're fo I mean, we know that this is a deposed dictator at the start of the story because yeah. you go back and forth from a timeline standpoint right. of I mean, yeah, his Basically rise and also the period after his demise and what yes. happens yeah. in the vacuum after this dictator falls. And there's yeah. this great, uh, you know, uh, you, you go back and refer to an authorized autobiography, yes. very sanitized story of yeah. this dictator telling his own story when you also are playing out the actual events that happened during right. that period and also we're getting that kind of great citizen kane kind of uh point of view of all these other people that were part and of the, the movement who's who's digging up this right stuff. And, and exactly and, and much like citizen kane and, as but well unlike kane this reporter the reporter in the present day part of the story is digging up what happened and how all of this stuff went down but he's also becoming involved with what's going on in the present yes. and you know and in the uh the last half of the book he's going to be inextricably involved in it to the point where he's kind of losing perspective on 
you know, on his journalistic duties. Uh, and, uh, you know, and and drawn very much into the center of this while, uh, you know, in the past, uh, the um, the dictator's cousin who we see the, the past stuff through is uh, uh, is is becoming uh, a little bit more legitimate and drawn back in with the dictator. So, it, you know, it, or the the dictator to be at that point. Yeah, it's funny. We've had um, some reporters actually. Or, you know, uh, tell us, yeah. journalists, that uh, they enjoy the book because right now they're so under attack yeah, like, and uh, yeah. vilified. And, you know, they I think they enjoy seeing somebody who's a little more complicated and maybe can be capable of doing heroic things. Even yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that- <laughs> and it's all, you know, and it's all really gray. And we, we you know, we feel like it's, uh, you know, we have to, you know, challenge ourselves not to just put our biases at you know sure. at the foreground you know it has to be you know complex so i mean the uh you know somebody was asking me at, i went to uh we uh we, we don't do cons anymore we will never appear in public anymore <laughs> but uh too busy with the dinosaurs but uh that's it i went to emerald city for one day and uh to do some press and to uh have beer with jeff parker and ben abernathy but the um the uh, somebody there asked me, uh, like, if it was if we had to like because we did the Green Lantern thing and, you know, uh, and the heroic stuff, like if it was if we had to kind of like make a make a uh, a conscious choice to have these grayer, you know, less heroic characters in Invisible Republic. And I, I was like, it's the other way around. <laughs> like that's kind of the invisible Republic is how we see the world. And then we have, we have to like step up to a kind of, you know, uh, you know, you know, something that's, that's more idealized with the superhero stuff. But that said, I think that, you know, there, there is a, you know, uh, there is a vein of idealism that we can, that we tap into with that sort of stuff. And, and that's what I like about that kind of stuff. I mean, as, as kind of, uh, you know, in in Green Lantern, it it starts out grimy and nobody is together, but that's not where we're going in the book. Yep. You know, it's yep. the ultimate destination is the idea. Understood. No, absolutely. And I um, well, I don't, and I'm glad you bring up too that the journalists kind of recognize their own problems in the real world in Invisible Republic because, like you said, complexity. That's what is so great about it. And in the same way that I love Greg Rucka and Michael Lark's Lazarus. In that, oh, yeah. you know, it's dense and deep. And I mean dense in terms of the thickness and the, and yeah, the, the layers that you are doing in Invisible Republic that it's like, you know, this is why I got excited again about comic books back in 99 and 2000 because all of a sudden, I you know, everybody loves, uh, I always do the, uh, the uh, cliffhanger kind of Perils of Pauline analogy of, you know, yeah, the girl's on the railroad tracks and she's tied up and the villain's twisting his mustache and the hero saves it. You know, Superman breaking through the wall and the bullets bounce off of him and he clunks their heads and saves Lois and stuff. I love that shit. And it's great. But it's also great that comic books are kind of reclaiming a a level of storytelling sophistication. And again, I point to Invisible Republic and Lazarus as examples of that, where it's like, no, you can tell a really, really deep, dense thing. And back... You know, again, in the 90s and in, and in the 2000s, there might have been one or two, maybe three books on the racks like that. And now there are a lot more. And, um, yeah. you know, so I'm, I'm, you know, happy to during this, you know, time when you're getting volume four ready and, and then you'll release it and stuff. Remind people, if you haven't picked up Invisible Republic, you really need to. 
because it's it's yeah, it's I'd, great. Yeah, it's great. And, well, you know. thank you so much. Thank, thank, you. thank you, John. Uh, and uh, and I think that also, though, you know, there is a kind of you know, pulp storytelling. And, uh, it's, it's hard for me to use that word because I, I use this word and I think that, I think people just think of a very narrow idea of it. And when I'm using it, I'm talking about a kind of, you know, uh, a, a pulpiness into the, in the, the way that the story is told, not so much of, you know, like characters like the shadow or something, but the, uh, but like, I think there's a vein of like adventure storytelling and stuff that's still very much a part of Invisible Republic. Yes. And you know, there's action in it and there's totally. serialized storytelling in it. It's just that we're looking at it through a sort of different lens. Yeah, and I and again I think the characters are definitely more three dimensional and, and very complex. And yeah, like you said, a lot of gray. because um, there are moments that I'm like, well McCabe doesn't seem that horrible. I haven't seen it yet. And it's certainly in the earlier. Yeah, volumes. well, right. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, and I think that that's, you know, that's kind of the suspenseful thing that you can uh, that you, if you just say at the beginning, oh, this guy turns out to be awful, you know, he, and we, <laughs> when, you know, along the way, you know, well, you know, maybe that guy's not so bad, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, a, until you let's get to the point. Give him a chance. Yeah, let's give him a chance. <laughs> yeah. Why does that sound familiar? um but uh you know when uh you know and then that can sucker you into uh you know to some uh going along with some really terrible stuff you know so that's it's it's about making the reader a little bit complicit you know and uh you know that's but i I, we are for us invisible republic is about just telling a story that's as dense and as gray and whatever as we want to. And hopefully people will come along with us. And, and I think that it's a pretty relevant book right now. And it's, it's, and something that I think if you read right now, it would, uh, you know, it, it, it would, you know, some things going on would inform it that, you know, might be rewarding. Sure, man. No, no. And, and that's the thing again, because starting in 15, it was a different. It was a different world when we were reading it, yeah. and that's the. Yeah. We were looking backwards then. We were looking at things <laughs> yeah. at you know right. uh, other dictators, uh, other totalitarian stuff in the past. Sure, you know, sure, and uh, and not you know, but uh, not the now, yeah, yeah. not the now that yeah. we're living in. No, I, I get, no, and you know, in a much more benign way. Uh, I remember Roger Ebert, an old interview where he talked about watching La Dolce Vita as a young man and how he related to. Uh, the main character in different ways as he got older. And at (laughs) first it was a guy that he almost, oh man, I wish I had that kind of life. And then by the time he reached middle age, it's like, oh, this guy's a young fool because he had his life. Yeah, there's a sadness to the character. Yes. And and that's, again, that's the wonderful thing about a really good piece of art is how your environment may change and your perception of it might change as well. King of Comedy is another great example of that. Yeah. Good Lord. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was a, you know, either a high school or college kid when that came out. And especially the very end of the movie where De Niro's psychotic comedian character that holds a Johnny Carson kind of host hostage and at the end of it, you know, is taken away. But you're not sure if the very end of the movie, it seems like he's suddenly being successful and he's about to appear in front of an audience. And you're like, is this in his mind or did this yeah. really happen? Yeah. In today's reality TV world, it's like, no, this probably could have happened. And it's it, the same, yeah, right. same yeah. thing with yeah. Network. Network's another movie yeah. like that. That, again, when it came out, it's like, oh, it, you know, the world can never get that ridiculous. Here we are. Right. right. And this is the King of Yeah. So I love that. I love shit like that. And again, that's why I'm like, hey, you know, it was really I knew I liked Invisible Republic when I first read it. But I'm like, 
oh, look how it is different today, and it feels different now. So that's that's yeah. crazy. It's the same book, but it feels and, different. And also the book builds, though. It, there, there's there's stuff in uh, in the first volume of it that, if you read the second volume of it, is inflected differently, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. I mean, and so that kind of bigger long-term storytelling, like, we looked at it as, okay, we're going to go all in and tell the really long story, but that means we're going to use the stuff, that the tools we have to tell a really long story, you know? We can tell you something and tell you that it that it was a certain way, but later you could look at it from a different perspective and see that, you know, that, that it wasn't quite that simple. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. All right. Old- so, and if we, and even with Green Lantern, if we, you know, if we get to do more of them, they'll they'll be more to what you've already seen, and they'll mm-hmm. be, you know, and 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 you know, things will develop. No, I'm not saying there's going to be more Green Lantern, but if there were two more volumes of it, yeah. You know. <laughs> oh, interesting. And that's that's great. I'm glad you have. I mean, again, the way it ends, it's a satisfying ending. I don't want people to think if you buy this that it's going to end on some sort of, you know, like that you don't get a full story. But a door is open to yeah, what comes I mean, next at the end. Yeah. I mean, we're we're certainly saying by the, at the end of it that, that there could be more of it, but the end of it also directly pays off the beginning of it. Yeah. He, it, it, it is the arc of the character. Absolutely. No, it's it's great, man. All right, let's talk about uh, any uh, good old or new uh, documentaries or new movies. I, I'm in the middle of the Gary Shandling HBO. Uh, oh, yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Man. I've heard that. Oh, I've man. heard it. The first part was in fa- just fantastic. And, you know, I I bought uh, both. They they had two different uh, collections of Larry Sanders. At first, they put out uh, Shandling's, like, he chose his favorite episodes. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I bought yeah, yeah. that one. And then I did buy the full, uh, right. the full collection of the complete series as well. But on that first volume, there are tons of bonus material of him talking to people who worked on the show, but also guest stars and just his good friends. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. And, yes. and, it's, yeah. and it kind of opened the door to what Judd Apatow was able to go further into with this documentary. And again, I'm only halfway through it. I, I, I'm about, I started part two, and I think I'm about a half hour into part two, and it's still another two hours. And I'm, oh, right. and I'm in the Larry Sanders years right now, chronologically. But he is such an interesting guy, and I also think a guy that, you know, I really respected his comedy from a writing standpoint, from a performance standpoint, but also I think just a very interesting and very sad person. And it, yeah. it's just, well, it's he's great. a comedian. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, yeah that's kind of true. But you know? uh, yeah, no, and we're actually like, we, we haven't watched that, but we're actually halfway, I think, through rewatching the Larry yeah, Sanders show right, right now. Oh, that's because, awesome. Uh, um, I met you him know, that time. Oh, that's right. You did Not meet Larry him on Sanders, the, you know, the Sanders. Talk about it. He was super high, right? Well, <laughs> I'm not going to cast any aspersions, but no, it was when I was uh, working wildlife rescue and we were rescuing a sea lion that was on the beach and it was in front of his house. Oh my God. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and was he kind of wandered Was this out. when he lived in Malibu or? Yeah, in Malibu. Yeah, yeah. in Malibu. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there was a sea lion that needed to be picked up and we were getting it off the beach and he kind of wandered out and looked at it and kind of made some jokes about it and there was some woman with him and she was finally like, come on, let them do their job. Wow. I wonder if, so there's your enlightened Buddhist. <laughs> <laughs> well, when, uh, in- but that said, I love the Larry Sanders it's- show. I think it's, I mean, I, I like the, his previous, uh, oh, you yeah, know, it's Gary uh, Shanley show. Yeah. yeah. It's Gary Shanley show too. But like the, uh, I, I love the Larry Sanders show. It's so like, 
you know, smart and uh, cutting and uh, and Artie. I mean, Artie is like basically he's one of the greatest TV characters ever. Hands down. And I think the show is about him. I think Artie is the central character of the show. That's not very funny. Yeah, it's like that. Well, I, I I am pleased to say that I can tell you because it's been on my mind because of the documentary. Rip Torn was in Chicago previewing a, a play they put on stage in New York. Eventually, Horton Foote, the wonderful playwright, it was called Young Man from Atlanta. I uh-huh. don't know if it was a revival or not, but I hadn't heard of it until it came to town. And uh, we had a great relationship with uh, Steppenwolf, the theater company that was putting it on. <laughs> And our, our our radio station, and we're like, hey, we really want to meet Rip Torn if he would like to go to. And then thankfully, it was in uh, during the Bulls run. Uh, God, now that I think of it, it was more than twenty years ago because it was when Jordan was still part of the team, and it was when Rodman, Dennis Rodman, was part of the team as well. So it was the third three or the second three peat, and um, you know, Rip Torn's like, of course, I want to go to a Bulls game. So. We you know, he came to the radio station. We did a long interview with him. We went to the Bulls game. We had, uh, of course, because we were the sports radio station, had locker room access, so he got to meet the players. We yeah. took him for a nice steak dinner afterwards. And you know, again, this was between either the second to last and last uh, seasons of Larry Sanders, or late in the run. And it right. was during wow. a very long hiatus where he's like, "Hey, we all want to get back to work. It's just a matter of." Gary and Peter Tolan uh, getting together and writing scripts to Gary's satisfaction, and that we're right. ready to start shooting. And I wish that I had, you know, something like the Gary Shandling documentary was out then to ask Rip more. But I agree with you. I mean, God, he was so good on that show, and they all so were. good. Yeah. They all were. Yeah. But yeah, Artie, yeah. Artie yeah. is just such a wonderful character, and um, yeah, I just I do. It's yeah, I agree with you guys. It's one of my favorite '90s shows, no question. Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So I'm not surprised you guys are rewatching it, and it is. It's just so good, and also it needs to be watched uncensored. I forget which cable channel, like Bravo <laughs> oh, no. or somebody, was oh, running no. it, oh, and God, they had no. to cut scenes, and they were bleeping words, oh. and it's like, no, man, this is gonna be untethered, and it's so. Yeah, that's, that's the whole point of it. Point. I mean, it's yeah. the behind the scenes thing. Yeah. So no, it's uh, yeah. I'm I'm glad I'm glad to hear that. Uh, yeah, I, I I love Larry Sanders so. Um, oh, did I mention, and I don't know if I texted you guys when I saw it, but it's so funny. I rewatched it again in the last couple of weeks. Great old Humphrey Bogart movie around the time of Casablanca, but I believe before it, called All Through the Night. Oh, the crazy one. Yes. Is that? Yeah. The, uh, we've seen it's, that. Yeah, it's, yeah, Brooklyn, it's, it's Brooklyn Wise Guys against yeah. uh, Fifth Column Nazi Spies. In yes. Bro- right. In oh, right. Yes. That's yes. the really quirky, crazy <laughs> yes. one, though, right? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Uncle Charlie yeah, from yeah. My Three Sons, William Demarest, is yeah. Bogey's. Like, I feel like maybe I talked to you about this on the podcast years ago at some <laughs> we, point. But well, I don't, maybe oh, not. No, I, don't I don't remember. So, but yeah, no, it was one that when we watched it, like had no idea what it was going to be and turned out to be nuts. Yeah. You know? like, yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause I uh, no, truly, I never saw it before last year. I was just kind of barely aware of it because Phil Silvers and Jackie Gleason, a very young Jackie Gleason is in it. Like literally 10 years before he was on the Dumont network doing the honeymooners, right. let alone, you know, the classic 39, about 15 years before yeah. that. And Phil Silvers is a bit role in it. And just Uncle Charlie from My Three Sons as this awesome sidekick. And yeah. I, I, oh, wait. 
Do you mean Bill Demarest, one of the greatest yes. actors in movie <laughs> you history? Know that, and Karina knows that. But you know, most of our if if they were even aware of Uncle Charlie, that's yeah. The, well, you know. those people who don't know who Bill Demarest is need to go out and they need to watch the Lady Eve, Preston Sturgis' yeah, Lady Eve, nice. where he gives one of the greatest performances ever. He's great in all and then watch uh, Sullivan's Travel. Yes, and Hail the Conquering Hero as well. No, he's a he's an incredible character actor, and I I keep saying all through the night is like a really expensive smart. Bowery's Bowery Boys movie, yeah, with yeah. much better writers and much better actors, and Jane Darnell, of course, from <laughs> Grapes of Wrath, fucking Humphrey Bogart. Well, of course, and that's yeah. I mean, and it's just this, yeah, it's just great, tough, bogey New York bogey, you know, and just yeah, all right, these Nazi mugs have nothing on us. Let's get them, boys. And it's that kind of attitude, and it's great. <laughs> I love that movie, and Conrad Vake, I, Peter Lorre in it. Oh yeah, yeah. The uh, also. Um, Okay, so right. uh, Bogart-wise yes. uh, and journalism-wise, not that long ago we saw Deadline USA and had never seen it before. No, tell me, tell me. No, it's fucking amazing. Oh, it's a great movie. Like, it's a little later, later Bogart, early 50s. Okay. And uh, you should you should track it down. You should check it out. It's it's It sounds like it's going to be a kind of, you know, churned out B-picture-ish type of newspaper movie and it's nothing like that it's this beautifully crafted movie it's one of his absolute best movies and i don't know i have no idea why i'd never seen it before interesting yeah so deadline usa okay because um i certainly love his last movie the harder they fall yeah yeah that's a good one too. yeah and i uh got to talk to bud schulberg in depth about that which was fantastic because i kind of got to know bud in his later years because of uh, when i covered boxing right and we'd we'd run into each other and uh yeah the two movies that i really wanted to hear about were uh, the Harder They Fall and Face in the Crowd, the Andy Griffith, amazing film right. that, again, you watch it now, and here's a movie from the the late 50s, and it's comment on television and mass media and how a public can be swayed by somebody on television. Uh, it's it it's as vital today as it was in the, in the actually, I would say more so than, oh, than yeah. in the late 50s. Totally. And I got to talk to Bud about that, and I remember him telling me that they were trying to remake it uh, in the 2000s, and now I'm trying to remember, I believe Jim Carrey was one person they thought about uh, for being Lonesome Roads at that point, early 2000s. Yeah. I can't remember who. I know also what makes Sammy run his wonderful novel that was made sure. into a great TV drama, um, but never was made into a film. Right. They, I know um, Ben Stiller yep. wanted to make it, but yep. there's oh, a lot that's of... What, that's what Bud said to me as well. Yeah, that Ben Stiller... certain amount of pushback against it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's the thing. And, of course, Bud's like, well, you know, it's the studio's property. They can do what they want. But at least, you know, I got his point of view of, yeah, I don't know if I'd like that. And and, and certainly even uh, facing the crowd, he was intrigued by Carrie possibly doing it. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's int- And, you know, um, just saw an old uh, Dick Cavett with uh, Steve Martin as the guest. And it was the period of Leap of Faith. His, mm. his kind of Elmer Gantry sort of movie. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I kind of want to rewatch that. Yeah, I know. I think I saw that at the time. But uh, you know what I – one thing that I've uh, – Steve Martin of it all. Sure. Um, I uh, – you know those master class yes. things? Yeah. So I've been watching those. Uh, like I just bought the, you know, uh, the pass, year-long pass thing to it. So I've just been watching all How of them. How much is the year-long Because I'm sitting – well – it's one hundred eighty dollars. Okay, well, but <laughs> so, there's a lot of material there, and, and there is there's a lot of material, and I sit at this desk and draw all the time, and I need stuff going sure, on. Man. So like, 
you know, uh, so I listened to uh, or you know watched the the Steve Martin one, which is you know very charming and Steve Martin and great and uh, and the David Mamet one, yes. which is you know ideological and uh, <laughs> extreme <laughs> and uh, uh, interesting, and if you can take it with a grain of salt. And, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, oh, also the Helen Mirren one was, was actually really good. Her talking about acting was really good. Ooh, I bet. You know, the one that I love, the, I love actors talking about acting craft stuff, Absolutely. you know, and, there's, uh, there's a, uh, there's, there's a, uh, a series on Netflix and it seems to just be Hollywood in general, both filmmakers and actors. And I forget what school. Oh, and it's definitely, it's a California school. Maybe it wasn't USC. I can't remember which school it was. The AFI? No, I think or... it was Loyola, actually. I think it was the Loyola. Okay. Yeah, and I can't remember the name of it right now, but I just saw the Clint Eastwood episode, which was mm. all about filmmaking. Um, yeah. And it, they're half-hour shows, which I'm always, you know, oh, please give me an hour. And, I, you know, of course, you know, how Word Balloon listeners know, give me three hours, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh, no, I, I, I thought that was good. But back to Masterclass, the one that I can't deny... I'm kind of smirking and being like, yeah, all right, is Adam Carolla tells you about how to do podcasting. Oh, God, I didn't even <laughs> notice that. I, I may not have subscribed if that if I realized that. that was <laughs> well, I've seen the ads for it. And I'm, I may have just, like, boycotted Yeah, all right, let me tell you how to podcast great. I'm like, uh, yeah, step one, be famous. Step two, uh, to <laughs> get fired from your <laughs> national or your big radio syndicated job and out of desperation start a podcast and thankfully find an audience. But again... Kind of helps when you already have millions of fans, so uh, yeah. you know it's I I I from but if it's only 180 bucks for a year's pass, and again with Mammon and the Steve Martin stuff and Helen Mirren and the good stuff, and there, and uh, there's going to be a Scorsese one this year, oh, that's and great. Uh, you know, and Ron Howard, yeah, you know, whatever yeah, yeah. that that's that great. is, you know, and like you know, the, I mean, I, I think that uh, it's interesting. I have nothing against Ron Howard. <laughs> I worked with Ron Howard one time. He was like a super nice guy. What, what, what did you work on with Ron Howard? <laughs> Oh, what's it called? The second of those movies with Tom Hanks where they go do Bible stuff. <laughs> they do Bible stuff. Um, you know, angels the, the angels and demons. The, oh, excuse the, me. Of course. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah. Um, what's his face? The sequel to the other yeah, one. Da Vinci Code. Dan Brown. Yes, exactly. All right. That's so uh, I forgot it was technically Bible stuff. Yes, of course. I suppose, yeah. I, maybe that one wasn't. I don't well, know. No, I, I don't know if I read that. I think you're right. I but think the, they both were actually, but yeah. Yeah, but the uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I worked with that on that with him. Oh, that's and, cool. Uh, and he was super nice, and you know, I did a lot of stuff. A lot of it got in the movie. You know, that's cool. I think I, I'm not sure. That's cool. Um, very nice. But uh, I'd be interested to see him do a masterclass thing because he was very, um, you know, he's a very easygoing guy, and he lets everybody like Contribute. you know, kind of throw their opinions in and contribute and stuff. So seeing how he would present what he does would be really interesting from the other side. I understand. Um, And certainly the Scorsese one would be, I don't know that there's anything to learn from Martin Scorsese exactly. I mean, he, you know, but I'll bet it would be entertaining. You know, I'll bet him talking about his process would be great. What do you think of, uh, and forgive me if this is like an obvious, like, of course not, but I'm, I'm really curious right now, given uh, the correct response to a lot of uh, the Harvey Weinstein's, the Louis C.K.'s, and all that stuff that's going on, and obviously Woody Allen and Wonder Wheel. You know, I didn't see Wonder Wheel, and it wasn't from any protest standpoint. I, I confess that I am still fascinated by Woody Allen, the filmmaker. Obviously, if the 
terrible things are true. That's absolutely horrible, and certainly he is paying for it, and rightfully so, again. But I, I'm wondering, there's a, there's a cartoonist from years ago, and I don't think we've talked about it, uh, the little Abner uh, cartoonist, and why am I blanking right now? Uh, damn it. Al Cap. Al Cap, of course. Al Cap, <laughs> I don't know if you know, had this very disgusting and legitimate sex scandal himself that totally brought him down. In, in hmm. the 70s. I didn't quite know about that. I knew he was a big right-wing creep, but I didn't know the right. other part. Well, and that's the other... He, his, <laughs> his entire uh, trajectory from when he first came into the business to where he ended at the end of his life and not only becoming uh, very right-wing in the 60s and laughing at John and Yoko in the bed-in and all of that stuff. Oh, right, yeah. Um, but then, yeah, this, this crazy sex scandal. It, Dennis Kitchen, and I forget the other author's name, wrote this amazing biography of cap and and hmm. really at his peak in the 40s and 50s this guy was bigger than charles schultz later right, right. and really was like and also a super talent yes you know like i mean whatever my ideas of his political right. opinions are whatever are relatively meaningless and this may start sounding like it's answering your question but like uh, i i i think that it uh i i think that the people's craft and the things that the things that they do uh, are, are maybe, you know, a, a different thing from who they are personally. Agreed. And but. that's, and that was my question is like, because again, I, I, this stuff is raw and recent. So I, I completely, I mean, I was a huge Bill Cosby fan before we know about his sick stuff and it's yeah. like, but that comedy's still funny. And I, and as someone who appreciates good comedy, it's like, well, I do want to still explore it despite the fall of the man. And I, yeah, I just wondered if, as you know, as film buffs as you guys are, how you feel about some, you know, I mean, Harvey Weinstein, fuck him, he, you know, he was just a money man. But I mean, I, I really like some of these fucked up a lot of people's movies too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, but you know, really like the the dust. But that doesn't have anything to do with the Korea. You talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's it's a difficult thing because, of course, people that are already dead and the era is over, there's nothing to be done about that. But I think the real harm, whether you're talking about Harvey Weinstein or Bill Cosby or whoever, is they are also keeping a ton of talent from entering the business. So not only are they ruining lives of people that are, you know, legitimate grievances, they are also keeping us from having the talents that we could be watching that maybe are better than they are yeah. or more interesting or more fulfilling. And so they're kind of robbing us twice. They're robbing individuals of whatever they could have done, but they're also robbing people in general of a whole universe of people that then don't get heard or seen sure. or get to make their things. Yeah. So I think that's um, going forward is actually something that, should be done about people like that so that then we aren't robbed of these opportunities. Yeah. No, I mean, well, and know, I, the crime side. No, and I, right. I, I agree with all of that. I just wonder, again, when we go back to the art, do we do we ignore it? Does I mean, and again, society will... No, no, you don't ignore it. I mean, like, I don't think you ignore it. We liked the Woody Allen movie. <laughs> like, well, we saw the Woody Allen movie. Did you see one? like the Woody Allen Is it good? Yeah. I want to see it. I, I won't deny I, it. I thought it was a pretty good movie, actually. Yeah. It was, um, you know, it's one of his, it's not one of his, it's, like, it's not crimes and Yeah, it's not crimes and sure. But, like, but, like, it's a, it's an interesting movie with something interesting to say. That said, you have to look at it 
I mean, the hard thing about this stuff and dealing with these, you know, uh, dealing with stuff that's so fresh is that you like it's hard to have perspective on sure. the person is still around. They're still, yes. you know, uh, you know, but. Well, a uh, uh, corollary to that, too, is if the person is still around, like I'm not going to buy an Orson Scott card book. No, sure. absolutely. There's, that money could go and be used for something that I am opposed to. Yeah, but, for horrible anti-LGBT stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I don't want to directly hurt my friends. I hear yeah. That. yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody that died in the 1800s. <laughs> that, you know, yeah, well, look, Edgar Degas, okay? This guy is, he's my biggest, you know, inspiration. He's hes my favorite painter and draftsman. And, and you know, he, like, you know, I have, uh, you know, I have stuff his on the wall right next to my, uh, my table that I can look at all the time. And uh, we went to his grave in Paris. Cool. This guy was a monster. He was horrible. Like he was an anti-Semite. He was like this incredibly reactionary, awful guy who, who was terrible to people. And just there, he, there really isn't anything redeeming about him personally, except that he made this body of work that, you know, transcends and, and uh, that I uh, that I love. And I and and I can't deny that I love it, you know, okay. but um but he but I but I know that that I mean, all the rest of it, the biographies I've read and all that sort of stuff inform how I look at his stuff. And I you know, and I do think that stuff needs to, you know, like you need to be able to be informed by it. That that said, I don't I don't fault anybody for for, uh, you know, for not wanting to watch a Woody Allen movie or, or or being, you know, too disgusted by somebody and not wanting to uh, give them money, not sure. wanting to do something that supports them. I mean, I think I that think that's a perfectly are, valid. But those are almost like two different things. Like if you're personally disgusted by somebody, what somebody has done and you can't you can't get past that, then you can't enjoy the work. And I understand but, that, too. Yeah. And that's just that's that's a personal yeah. thing. But then if you're also supporting that person and they're still around and that's that's a real world harm, I feel like. Yeah. But, yeah. Whereas like Degas work does good in the world, but Degas can't the man can't do harm in the world anymore. Yeah. He's in that cemetery. Yeah. Because yeah, he's below ground. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> no, it's I, again, I guess uh, in general, uh, the masses will decide what is still consumed and what isn't from the people that are still alive and that are kind of living with their art and also the shame that these revelations have brought in everything. And yeah, I just, I wonder about that. And also again, yeah, cause Al Cap, I, I mean the comic strip people in general aren't, I think, unfortunately the comic book people, uh, most of them and maybe forgive the generality, but yeah, I don't know if they think about the, the comic strip people that came before because that is where the sophisticated storytelling was still happening. I mean, Kniff, you know, doing his, I think, arcs of Terry and the Pirates and even Steve Kenyon, as conservative as he got, at least we got really interesting, deeper characterization in, in their stories in the in the 40s and 50s compared to what All-Star Comics was putting out with the Justice Well, Society. no, absolutely. And I'm, look, you're talking to the guy with, who's, who's looking at uh, Scorchy Smith, uh, uh, Noel Sickles' that's uh, strip, on, original strip on my wall, yeah, you know? Boy, yes, like, is. I, that's, that is a lot of the stuff. That is, that, that is the inspiration for me in a lot sure. of ways, you know? Well, no, and, I, and that's why I know that from an artistic standpoint. I'm just saying readers don't. I don't know how many comic book readers 
generationally. And it, it's not their job. It's not their job. No, but it's their, their job is to, to buy books and be entertained about the stuff that they read. And, you know, and hopefully and, you know, it, it's not your job to be a scholar no, of, course of this not. stuff. I think it is our job, though. I mean, you know, like it's our job to have a, an understanding of where this stuff came from and, and, you know, to draw influences from the past to draw influences from things outside of comics, which is probably primarily what we do. Sure. And uh but I don't think it's the job of readers to do that. No. You know, I think that they their job is to just, you know, read the books. No, I understand that, but you don't want to miss something that was great. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> read those books. No, but, you know, and, and Karina, what do you – I mean, that's – my whole thing is, you know, you don't want to miss something like we were just talking about, this great Humphrey Bogart movie all through the night. You know, it's like, hey, if you like, you know, various things, don't miss this. And like I said, it just seems like Al Cap suddenly – and and again, because the guy was ridiculously humiliated and stuff. And you see some of these other revivals of other great runs, Chester Gould and Dick Tracy and some of the other great comic strips, certainly Kniff. Uh, and I love Noel Sickles, who was Kniff's hero, which I love, too. It's like yeah. you're finding out yeah. that kind of connection, who who inspired Kniff and everything. But, yeah, I don't know, Karina. I mean, and again, I, I hear what you're saying about the people that are still alive and those people versus the people that are dead. Well, and it's just I think it's difficult to know everything about everyone especially people that are no longer in the news like i didn't i didn't know that until you said it i didn't know about that sex scandal right well yeah you also you just don't know the people you know i mean like for good or ill you don't know them i've certainly spent a lot of time around uh you know known people celebrity type people whose you know private persona has nothing to do with the way that people see them publicly and, you know, I mean, I, you know, and I've also actually worked with a lot of the people who've come down, who've been taken down by this whole thing, you know, wow. your Brian's, well, you know, to a degree, your Brian sure. Singers and your Brett Raps and stuff, True. you know, Absolutely. and so, like, sure. I, you know, it's, uh, it, and it's. Yeah, you can only work with what you, what you know. And yeah, you know, I mean, and you're not necessarily going to read everything about every, you know, early 1900s author you <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, my in my well, is it, we do that. Are but, you? Uh, what about every single movie director? Because oh. I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, am I True. am I missing any uh, comic or, or other projects that you guys may you know want to promote that are coming up? Yeah, I mean, I'm doing actually. Uh, I'm doing an Aliens miniseries uh, for Dark Horse. Uh, I'm uh, writing and drawing it uh, solo, and uh, it's uh, the first issue. The first issue comes out in uh, April. Oh, wonderful. Well, there we go. Yeah, so right after – this is March – April, yes. Uh, So very soon. And uh, and like uh, probably the FOC will be passed by the time this comes out, but – uh, but yeah, so uh, it's a four issue miniseries. It's called Aliens Dust to Dust. It's kind of a, um, a sort of intense horror survival story about a 12 year old. It's pretty intense. <laughs> it's really intense. Uh, uh, about like a 12 year old boy and his mother trying to escape uh, a colony that's uh, been invaded by xenomorphs and uh, uh, and the the very. Uh, uh, the very difficult, uh, you know, lengths they have to go to get out of it. Interesting. That's excellent. And I'm glad that's coming up in April. So very, very cool. Wow. Very neat. I, and there's a preview there. I, I know, um, there's like a preview that was just put out on CBR that, uh, that has, 
like my pencils and then inks and then colors. And it's sort of like process. a process uh, uh, oriented uh, preview of it. So uh, you can easily go check that out. That's excellent. And when, when will we, do you know kind of when we might be hearing uh, stuff in, in general, Karina, for your stuff coming up? Um, it'll be a little while still okay. because uh, it's, it's sort of a whole thing. <laughs> I understand. Well, I get it. All right. Thanks. But uh, it's pretty cool. I, I don't. Yeah, it's yeah. a whole thing, but it's pretty, pretty cool. cool. Just yeah. rest assured, it's a whole <laughs> I take thing. My NDA but it's pretty cool. Very seriously, no, I, <laughs> I, I understand that. And then, yeah, and it's uh, yeah, we're in an NDA world about everything, so I understand. So again, I don't want to go back to politics, obviously, but here we are. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Geez. Uh, well, anyway, also if you want to like uh, say you say you're you're interested in my aliens book, or you read and you like it. Uh, go back and, uh, like, at least on Comixology, you could get uh, my one-shot from last year, my horror one-shot, The Belfry, uh, which uh, people enjoyed. Oh, that's and, awesome, uh, man. I got a lot of positive commentary on, and it was something that I just wrote and drew on, you know, without telling anybody and, uh, and like, uh, and, and just kind of foist it on the world. But uh, it, it Image put it out. That's great. And, uh, and like, my plan is to do uh, more of those. Uh, things got a little bit derailed in the last year uh, from, you know, I, don't, I guess depression. I don't know what, what's <laughs> like a total lack of uh, uh, like I, all of my creativity has been sapped. I, I don't know what you call it, you know, the, 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 because of everything that's going on. But uh, but like it, you know, uh, I, but I, I have other horror, you know, one shots and stuff like that in the works that that I'll be, you know, trying to put out as well. OK. Oh, and I guess uh, speaking of horror stuff, I also have a non-comics related uh, essay coming up that's going to be in the Revelator this week, I think, about how shrinking the national monuments is robbing us of our fossil heritage. Yeah, she's like doing these sort of journalistic yeah. articles. That's fantastic. That's real, and I agree with you. Horror. I completely agree with that sentiment. <laughs> it's yeah, it's sick, and and truly, our monuments are very very important. And I wish that the Roosevelt te- Teddy Roosevelt Republicans that understood yeah. the the preservation right. of such things still existed uh, apparently yeah, no shit yeah oh, there you go but uh, yeah no I'm I'm glad to hear that and uh, I'll look forward to it. Revelator the Revelator yeah excellent yeah that's great <laughs> um, well wonderful that's wonderful I'm gonna probably put this out as we're we're recording in the closing days of March and unfortunately this will probably come out. The weekend of C two E two, so I hope that's not too late for oh, you guys. Yes. As far as oh no, <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. <laughs> Everything lives on the internet. <laughs> yeah, that's true too, exactly. So, well, it's I'm glad and Gabe. I hope that you know again your your faith in your creativity is is back because uh, you know it's always good to see new stuff from you. And I and I'll remind people as well. You put out a picture of a dog, and my thoughts immediately went to Kinski. Your wonderful little oh. independent <laughs> crime story that you uh, threw up there digitally and everything, and it, it finally was collected, wasn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. It was collected from images. There you well. go. Yeah, so that's that's still out there and available. Excellent. So, yeah. No, that's great. And I'd love to do more stuff like that as well. The non-genre stuff that, or at least kind of oddball genre yeah. stuff. And uh, you know, like I and you know, there are several projects that are kind of in process and just not quite you know ready to announce or ready. No, you know, sure. like I don't want to announce for real anything because like I, if it's not completely done just because something could happen along the way but uh uh like that's uh, I guess that's just the goes along with my 
paranoia, my oh, the fact that I'll never go to a con again, <laughs> the, uh, you know, the, that, I, that I won't appear anywhere outside the house. Well, I, I don't know. I hope that's not true because I'm always happy to see you guys. And unfortunately, it usually is a convention backdrop that, that yeah, well, no. I'll, I'll, I'll find a way of going to L.A. and, and – We'll go to cons next. There you year. go. I, <laughs> I understand. No, and, I, and and you know it's funny is before we're recording, conventions can feel like the auto show. That's what I was telling them uh, off the air. Yeah. And it's, yeah. yeah. No, it just gets. Well, I st- one thing I I say all these things. People will probably believe the things I'm saying, right? And they shouldn't, right? It's <laughs> it's not all real. Like it's not all serious. All right. But the uh, but uh, but I ha- but I have stopped doing uh, commissions completely. Like I, wow. I won't do them. So, uh, like, because uh, there was a whole thing. There was this kerfluffle with the New York Comic Con, and there was a there was somebody outside of it who was uh, selling um, like prints of my commissions. Oh my off the bed. They, you know, prints like from Kinkos, print, yes. like literally low res JPEGs, not like, not like they did prints like printed out, with, like the five cent print, yeah, you know, right? Yeah. Son of a and good. selling them for three dollars outside of uh, the Javits Center, directly outside the door. Oh, and um, was it the Orson Welles Batman? It was not okay. Good. <laughs> it was just a random selection of stuff, and when Ultraman? and people Ultraman, had sure. there, there had been an Ultraman. There were a couple of things, yeah. and uh, the um, and people had told me about this, but I hadn't seen it. And then the last day we were walking out, and uh, the this person was uh, was was selling them on the street right outside the con, and uh, a whole selection of my stuff, and uh, and like. You know, one Carmine Infantino Batman cover from 1967 or something. <laughs> and uh, and like uh, and there was someone buying one at the moment that I sure. we walked by. And I like kind of confronted this person about it, and then it turned into a big mess. And wow. uh, and like uh, and this was the point where I was like, I wonder why I still do these kinds of things because yeah. I'm not doing them for the money i'm doing them as a sort of outreach to to, to fans sure. and stuff and like and to, to do a thing that you know people could have a piece of art that you know and yet like they're not they're not something that's fulfilling for me it's for you know for for people to have something you yeah, know yeah so, and uh, i have two and they're framed and one of them i'm looking at right now your wonderful captain comet that you did for me sure shares, yeah, a, no, shares and, a wall space with chris somney's dan dare Right below it, yeah, and also your American flag that you did for me is 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 amazing. Right. So I, I love and, those things, but it's well. So now they're collectors' items because I'll never do another one again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I made it before um, the door shut. That's good. Yeah, I know. I know. It's crazy. Um, no, but also but, I can appreciate that frustration of what a what an was, Actually, I'm making it out like it's about that thing, but it's not exactly about that thing. It, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I. I just I I did a lot of them and you know and now uh, those are the only ones that exist. That's awesome. So I mean, wow. like I you know, and it just I, I, so I just stopped. We'll see. Someday I might I start again. You know, yeah, I get it. Uh, but if I don't do com- if I don't do commissions, then I you know there you could sell pages and we could sell some sure. books, but it doesn't really justify having a table at a con anymore. So uh, so then it seems like well we don't go to cons anymore. So <laughs> the, that's where we are. <laughs> Well, that gives you more time to do more fun things that, you know, as yeah. opposed to, I always say it's like working in a hardware store and then coming home and diving into a pile of nails. Why would you do that? Yeah. And I mean, I, I do like, you know, obviously, like we like, you know, meeting fans. Sure. We like talking to fans and stuff. And, you know, and that whole element of it 
you know, it sucks to not do that. But at the same time, we will very likely, you know, go to, you know, uh, we will very probably very likely table at future things. But uh, but we'll also, you know, we will also be going to cons and doing panels, sure. and stuff, you know, and just moving around and, you know, uh, things we'll like take that. the break. But I don't we know. Understand. You never know. I say a lot of things that uh, <laughs> that sound pretty extreme. <laughs> Don't necessarily pan out. Or, well, or in the meantime, happy to have you back uh, anytime, and uh, yeah, we'll talk. Totally. We'll talk. I'm sure again, and uh, yeah, I and I and I'm sure eventually down the road, I will see you in some city at some point, and uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's great to catch up, and uh, truly nice going on uh, Green Lantern Year One or Earth One, Earth One, and, yeah. and uh, again the Aliens miniseries coming up in April. Yeah, yeah, first issue in April, and it's called again. Uh, aliens dust to dust. Nice, fantastic, and uh, Karina, great uh, revelator. Uh, we'll uh, we'll look for that uh, monument essay and the dinosaur book for the Smithsonian later on. Yeah. So that's fan- and looking forward to whatever announcements are coming for you guys. That's that's terrific. Keep it up, and uh, always you. a pleasure. And uh, yeah, thanks for wasting time with me tonight. <laughs> no, thanks, Thank John. You. Man, I'm I'm happy that they're doing so well, but I'm also kind of worried that it might be a while since I'll uh, see them at a convention. Jeez, Gabe and Karina, great talking to them. Uh, nothing but, uh, you know, continued success to them. I wish them that and more. And uh, I love talking movies with them and TV and, of course, comics. And it's great to have them back on Word Balloon. And uh, we'll try not to uh, wait too long for the next conversation with Gabe and Karina. Hope you enjoyed today's talk. It was brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Uh, let's, again, let's focus on some good uh, Karina Becco uh, product. In particular, Ms. Fury, a great Golden Age character, uh, one of the first female heroes. This uh, collection from Dynamite, it's a minor key, the trade paperback. Jonathan Lau, one of my favorite artists uh, that uh, does a lot of Dynamite work with Karina. It's set in New York in 1952. You had me at a hello. 35% off, just $12.99. Of course, we mentioned it, her wonderful run on Angel. This is uh, trade paperback volume one, season 11, Out of the Past. This is uh, Karina and, and uh, Geraldo Borges, or Borges. It's 42% off. It's $10.43. Same price for Volume 2. And uh, again, let's see. Uh, what does it say here? He, uh, Angel confronts his past self aboard a ship filled with zombies and a dangerous treasure. Uh, but again, $10.43. Actually, a lot of it looks like the Angel volumes from in-stock trades. $10.43. You can also get Lords of the Jungle... Her great Tarzan story, uh, this is with Roberto Castro. It's uh, 35% off, $12.99. You can get Green Lantern Earth 1 from uh, them. It's uh, the two of them together. Uh, 42% off for Green Lantern Earth 1, $14.49. And in the previous commercial I mentioned, great runs on uh, Planet of the Apes and also all the volumes of Invisible Republic, all waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. Check it out for yourself. Great books at great prices. If you uh, make an order of $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping. And uh, they're our friends. I saw uh, the lovely Christina uh, right there at uh, the, uh, the co-owner of InStock Trades at C2E2. It was great catching up with Christina Merkler. I'm sorry I didn't see uh, her husband, Cam. He was down there uh, keeping things going business-wise. But uh, really, a great company. You'll find great books at great prices at InStockTrades.com. Thanks for listening to Word Balloon today. I uh, had a couple technical difficulties that uh, kept me from putting this out before C2E2, but I had a great time. Uh, did a wonderful panel with uh, Sven Gulli 
and let the audience ask most of the questions in that case. And then Ryan Minerding and I uh, had a wonderful conversation. Ryan is uh, the chief uh, visual art guy for the Marvel movies. And, um, you know, he had a lot of visuals, but uh, great observations about the films and the evolution of Marvel movies. So, uh, again, I'm sorry. It was a visual panel. And, uh, you know, because of, uh, Mar- you know, most movie and television companies are very proprietary about the images, not only the images on the screen, but even the conceptual art. So it's kind of hard. I was thinking maybe I could put together a slide presentation. I can't even do that. I asked my Ryan and he said, no, you know, they're really tough about rights. And I totally understand. But great observations. So give me a little time to monkey with that and kind of edit it down and uh, get it to just the good conversation uh, parts that, you know, images won't be necessary. And my, Ryan can tell his story. And it was fun. It was a great panel. So uh, we'll be sharing both of those. Uh, with you very shortly in the days and weeks ahead. Also, a great conversation with Howard Chaikin coming up and Paul Cornell. And as always at conventions, I'm, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies and networking for future conversations at Word Balloon. And lots of great people are coming up in the days and weeks ahead. I know I always say that, but I mean it. And I think I prove it with each week and each episode of Word Balloon. Thanks for listening. More coming up very shortly. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2018.